What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, we are excited. We've been we've been having this this podcast on deck for Craig, how many months now? It's been literally months and months. And Craig has been talking about it every day because he has a man crush on this our <laughs> next our next guest. But he needs no introduction. I actually used to followed him before I met him. And uh, it just doesn't seem fair. An amazing dentist, international model. Television personality. Television personality. It just doesn't seem, you know, some guys just get all the luck. And today we have Dr. Miguel Stanley. I'm going to give a golf clap for you, Dr. Miguel Stanley. It's been a long time coming, pal. Been a long time. I, I somehow think that there should have been fireworks in this intro. There should have been. We're going to do them after. It's going to be video. <clears throat> you know, yeah. who has, ever, has not ever seen you two guys enter stage, um, let me just fill you in. Uh, we're talking, welcome to the jungle, Guns N' Roses, uh, customized matching T-shirts. When I saw that happen, I realized I've been, I, I, I've been I'm a failure. I, I've, I missed, <laughs> I missed, I missed that crucial and interpersonal marketing, man. That that was amazing. I was blown. I'm hooked. I love you guys. You are amazing, and I'm really, really happy to be here. Well, thank you, pal. Thank you, thank you. We, uh, Craig and I, spent a long time on that intro because we were we were super worried about the time constraints of being 30 minutes. And we're like, how are we gonna like actually deliver any value in 30 minutes? And you know, because because Craig, if you don't know, Craig is really long winded. Right? Oh, indeed, indeed, I am. <laughs> Honestly, I was, uh, it's, um, I, again, as you saw, I, I met you uh, in Vancouver physically. I also had heard wonderful things about you uh, from, you know, we have a lot of friends in common. It's a very mm-hmm. small industry and, um, you know, big fan of, of your work, but to actually see you deliver on stage, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot that you don't see on social media. There's a lot you don't see on Facebook. Let's say social media is what you want to put out. Um, and on stage, you can't really hide behind, you know. Um, yeah, it's a whole different animal for sure, right? Yeah, you, 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 there's no face tuning and, and filters on stage. Is that right? Yeah, that's for sure. Photoshop, <laughs> and, you know, that, that meeting, again, was quite impressive because the, the array of, uh, of speakers, the lineup, it was three very, very intense days. And it was, you know, the best of the best. And it was strong. Mm-hmm. It was very, very strong. You guys, um, you know, you instantly can, can smell out who's the real deal and who's not, you know. And your book, The Bulletproof Practice, uh, which I bought on Amazon and paid for, by the way. Wow. So, you were the um, one. <laughs> hey, your, your fanboy would have given you a free autographed copy, Dr. Craig Spodak. Yeah, I would have. <laughs> Speaking of fanboy... Speaking of fanboy, by the way, I think it's one of life's most beautiful things that there's certain people that you meet and you get to become instant friends with. And unfortunately, Peter, during that meeting, he um, he was he had like a serious flu or something like that. I was flying um, out there with him and he was like literally in the airport looking like death warmed over. I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to go up on stage alone. So um, but. 
but Pete, you managed to pull it all off a little bit of NyQuil and Sudafed and all that shit. You made yourself a cocktail, but, but the, the cool thing was when, when Miguel and I first met, it was like that scene from, um, what was that movie? Like, did we just become best friends? What was that? <laughs> it was like Step stepbrothers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had instant fun. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you, Miguel, but it was, it's one of life's beautiful things that you can meet people in this world and instantly have this amazing connection. And I was on such a high and we had a, we had another world renowned environmental, like, geopolitical speaker the most intelligent person at the orem summit they had a, a bunch of dental speakers and a bunch of thought leaders so it was really cool to juxtapose all these people and put them all in the same room and miguel and i had so much fun with this amazing woman who's uh i mean can you talk about her who was she again miguel martha renberg so martha is yeah she's uh, she has a think tank out of copenhagen and uh so she was on stage for about an hour talking about the um future um, she's a futurologist, so she does uh, impact studies for, let's say, um, the oil industry, petro industry, politicians, everything. So she she analyzes uh, does this critical thinking, and it's just but with understanding the future, artificial intelligence, environmental, where the world is headed. And you know, I was blown away, and we were very very lucky to go and get lost in the woods. We went for to get some air. <laughs> it was amazing. We went from science to being scared of being attacked by bears within about an hour. It was amazing. <laughs> it was this idea. We all wanted to go for a drink. And I'm like, you know, I live in Florida. We're in the mountains of Vancouver. And I mean, the mountains of um, uh, Whistler, rather. And I'm just like, you know, let's go for a walk. So we start this walk. And then we realize we're far away from town. And we can't see lights. And there are signs, like, everywhere around Whistler. Bear like, attacks be, everywhere. Yeah, be, be careful of bears. And I just freaked out. Miguel was happy. And I just, like, I started freaking out. I mean, it's a real deal, though. There was one strolling around the town just in. As, oh, that's as we right. Remember dentistry? Dinner? I mean, din din dinner, yeah. That's one of the awesome things about these meetings, you know. And I, I think all of us were, were so lucky that, you know, not only do we get to do our jobs, but we get to talk about it, travel around the world, and, you know, let's face it, get paid to pretty much go and see the world and meet awesome people. I've met a lot of, you know, less interesting people, but you guys are definitely up there. And honestly, congratulations on all, all everything you've accomplished. And not just that, I, I, the, we have a friend in common, I think, uh, Ricardo Mitrani from uh, the Spear Institute uh, down in Arizona. Mm -hmm. and we, we met up uh, previously online and then we met physically. And in the brief 15 minutes we had, the word was consistency. You know, the difference between the guys that make it and that don't is consistency. And that was a word that we both kind of, we were trying to figure out what was the defining vector in this industry. And I think it's consistency. And you guys have been very, very, very consistent with your message, you know, and on point. And it's not easy, you know, because if you're in a world where there's no, there's no playbook about what to do, what's the right thing. And, you know, our profession is so geographic it's geopolitical it's cultural it's financial it's you know depending on what part of the city you're in it, it changes and then you know you find that these thought leaders that meet every now and again that congregate at these meetings they all have some things in common right and uh, i would say one of them is without a doubt uh, consistency and just you know uh, and ethics and and so on and so forth and it's really cool to see that to meet absolute strangers and like was saying instantly recognize a brother and and connect and be able to talk and and get past all of the 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 formalities and say you know we, we have, we've got a bond and i think that's outstanding 
One of the things too, sorry, Peter, one of the things that we had had early on was this, um, um, you know, we all have expectations, you know, you're, you're, you've done some incredible things in in dentistry, Miguel, you've, you've crossed over, you've done that National Geographic special. Yeah, I wanted to give some people who hadn't like, let's give a little background, let Miguel kind of talk about. Yeah, please. He's humble. So you're gonna have to pull it out of him. But I just want people that are not, if, if you've been living under a rock or you don't follow any of their dentists, this is one that you need to pay attention to because he's a thought leader in conservative, ethical, minimally progressive or slow dentistry, as I like to call it. But, but give the whole story from the being on the doctors in LA and being on the Portugal TV show. I mean, there's so much here. So I know it's going to just give, give us a couple minute dissertation of that background. All right. Well, um, so, I speak English this way because I was born in South Africa. My first language is English. I was born in Durban on the Indian Ocean. My mother's from Manchester. She's a proper redhead. I'm a quarter Irish. Um, my dad was Portuguese. And I moved to Portugal when I was 10. And I've been living here pretty much for 35 years. So I'll do the math. And um, did my dental degree here. And then did some postgraduates in implant dentistry and cosmetic dentistry and occlusion early on. Uh, my early stage mentors were Ronald Goldstein, Maurice Salama, David Garber, Adolf from Team Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know where those, those yeah. guys are. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> They're um, amazing. You know, very, very lucky to get. And Maurice early on became kind of a mentor to me. So the understanding of biology, prosthetics, because, and I got to get a shout out to Team Atlanta. Those guys were truly pioneers in the terms of the way that they educate now with the dental XP platform and all of that. But um, I was very lucky to this was before social media, before any of that, to have that guidance and understand the concepts of interdisciplinary dentistry. So let's just say I was well-trained as an implant surgeon and a prosthodontist. And in Portugal, uh, when I started in 98, um, a general dentist can be a super dentist. So I was doing my own endo, my own perio, my own uh, prosthodontics, cosmetic dentistry, bonding. I just never did ortho. Mm-hmm. But so I was classically trained and I was doing all of these things, running my business. And in, uh, in order to pay college, uh, sorry, university, I did some modeling and I did over 80 TV commercials. Um, so without knowing, um, I, I learned a lot about direction, uh, production, lighting, makeup, mm-hmm. storytelling, cameras, all of that. And the day I, I graduated from university, I shaved my head and I said, I'm done with that. You know, I, I, I'm now a doctor. I, I can't be vain and all of that. And which was, which sucked because I was making a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And um, many, many years later, almost, almost uh, yeah, like seven years later, uh, I'm in my small little practice in, in Lisbon, um, you know, word of mouth, because in Portugal, you're not allowed to do marketing. Doctors and lawyers can't do. Still? Uh, the, yeah, the rules are still. When internet came, it kind of changed everything, but you can't go out and say, come to me, I'm the best. You can't say things like that. There's a lot of ethical rules uh, uh, involving that. You can do information as long as it's sound and valid, but you can't self-promote. There's still some legal Hmm. that's frowned upon. Um, So in 2005, um, I got invited to go to a TV show to uh, talk about, because I, some of the people that I knew uh, said, oh, we should invite a dentist to come to one of these talk shows, like our Oprah, you know, but mm-hmm. very few, you know, our country's only got 10 million people. But these are the days when people watch television. So, you know, if you had a primetime TV show, half of the country would watch this. 
And basically it was, a, it was live, it was a morning show and this woman was talking about dentures and my job was to talk about why, you know, the importance of healthy teeth and all of that. And live, I said, well, why don't you come to the clinic and I'll place you some implants. Now, remember, this is in 2004 or five. Dental implants were still something, you know, uh, people were scared of. And long story short, a week later, they came to my clinic. They filmed me placing some dental implants, doing an overdenture and her reaction, her emotional reaction. And then I got to go back to the show to talk about that. And as a result, I must have got about 50 patients wanting that. And I must have invoiced about $300,000 back in 2004. And I'm like, hmm, this is pretty interesting. And I didn't, at the same time, I, I flew to um, Las Vegas and I saw the dense ply extravaganza where I'll never forget Dr. Phil came on stage to Born in the USA from Bruce Springsteen. And I was like, I met the guys from Extreme Makeover, Lil Dorfman and those guys and stuff and the plastic surgeons from the team. And I was, I'd never seen this. I was like, oh my, holy shit, this is amazing. I mean, and I'd already had a taste of it. I kind of knew how to do it. So I went back home and I wrote a TV show for myself because I understood that the company that owned the rights to Extreme Makeover, which is Endemol, uh, would mean that I, would, I wouldn't really have a say in, in what was happening. And I was very scared about the ethical standpoint of things. So I wrote my own TV show, which had a, uh, like, let's say an interview section. So it was like a, um, it would have a, a journalist interviewing you because it couldn't be promotional. It had to be in infotainment, let's call mm -hmm. it that. I pitched it to the network. They, on the spot, the guy said, how much do you want for this TV show? And I had no idea. I was like, oh my God, I thought, you know, Go, let me think about it. I had no answer. I said, nothing. And the guy goes, what do you mean you want nothing? You know, how much do you want? I said, I don't want anything. I, but one, I said, I want one thing. He goes, what? I said, absolute control. Nobody gets on my show. No products get on my show. No doctors, no teams, no clinics, no materials. I call the shots. He shook my hand right there and then. And we, we started filming. And one of the things that I managed was a six-month production time, which is unheard of. Why? Because I told them that, implants were very important and at that time back in 2005 it was a five to six month healing time for implants you know if you were doing uh delayed loading so i managed that production time which is unheard of then i got a team of plastic surgeons nutritionists skincare specialists all of that and, and you know makeup artists image consultants dermatologists hair transplants and i was the executive producer and, and responsible for product placement so uh, I was doing that in 2006, 2007, 2008. My practice blew up. You know, I, I, we were invoicing crazy money and I, I, I had, my team started growing. It was an insane time. Um, I call it the fireworks period, you know, being able to buy Porsches with cash and all of that. I and mean, remember, Portugal is a poor country. Mm -hmm. So I became very, very wealthy uh, with this show. And then we took a hiatus because what I was doing, I was outsourcing the services to other uh, doctors. So plastics, a lot of plastic surgeons got rich. A lot of dermatologists got rich. I'm like, hang on, I should get a commission on that. The business guy in me, which is legit. So I built a huge clinic uh, between 2009 and 2010. Um, when I say huge, I'm talking 25,000 square feet. 14 dental chairs, plastic surgery center, nutrition education center. You can, you can, if you Google it online, you'll find it somewhere. And um, I designed and, and ordered all of this just before the subprime hit. And on top of it, I, you know, we had no benchmarking. We had no idea what I was doing. And throughout this process, I had to 
basically, I got a lot of criticism from my peers in Portugal because you can't be that successful because if you're that successful, it means they're not. Yeah, zero-sum game, right? And it's really difficult to accept how is this asshole on TV? <laughs> and then it's a small city, so I'm driving around in Porsches, dating supermodels, all of that. And um, I think that just pissed a lot of people off because, so of course, my success, and I've been told to my face that that success was very much due to my connections. I couldn't be a good, I couldn't be that and a good dentist. Right. So, of course not. Of course not. So basically, in order to offset the pretty boy famous persona, I really started developing and uh, my lecture scene. And I, it's something that I, 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 you know, started back in 2005. And I've really invested a lot of my life in the scientific uh, side of lecturing. And um, with that, you know, I went through a lot of ups and downs. And because of that fame, I got a lot of celebrity patients. Uh, some of them are very public. I don't, you know, I don't usually mention them, but I, 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 I can I mention one? Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. There you go. But, uh, highest paid athlete in the world, I think. I don't uh, Something like that. Yeah. True. And, um, you know, so when you start getting this kind of, uh, these kind of patients, you really can't, excuse me, I can't fuck around, man. You've got to really be on your game. And, yeah. you know, something I was, I was, I think I made it big before Facebook and you see a lot of Facebook fame people today. And then, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, there's a lot of really good guys out there that deserve all the credit in the world. But I mean, this, you have to really walk the walk in this business. You can't just talk the talk. So yeah, man, it's been an awesome ride. I've been through a bankruptcy. Um, I, my accountant uh, during that second big business kind of decided to steal all my money. So I hit rock bottom financially. This all happened during the subprime. And I had to rebuild myself from scratch uh, back in 2011. I took a hiatus. I went to LA. I did the doctors with CBS and Hollywood. And because of that, you know, crisis that I had, I realized the only thing I could focus on was reputation and not uh, finance. So my currency up till about 2012 was currency. After that became reputation. And for the last eight years, I've just been focusing on science, ethics, uh, doing the right thing and just, you know, going back to basics. And I think that's something that we should talk about today, which is my passion for, you know, basic ethical. I created uh, No Half Smiles, which is a treatment philosophy, all or nothing, man. I mean, if you have one problem in your mouth, fix that one problem. But if you have 30 problems, you've got to fix the 30 problems mm -hmm. regardless of the cost. And I also created Slow Dentistry, which is, you know, Go slow, man. Don't rush things. You know, those high turnover clinics, it's impossible for you to create a relationship and correctly diagnose and correctly treat your patients. So these are the things that I've been working on and I'm very passionate about. So, so I want to jump in because um, right after we met, we grabbed a coffee. Um, we had a break at the meeting. And what I think brought us to an instantaneous friendship was we went right to our common failures. And uh, I know you have the, ch I'm familiar with your chapter, the fireworks chapter, but more intriguing to me was the chapter that followed the fireworks chapter, which I don't know what you call. Um, I'd love to know what was the next chapter that you'd call after fireworks? Great question. And you said something just to give some context. Um, I'm a pleaser. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we talked about during that time. And honestly, you changed, you changed 
you changed a lot a lot in me, Craig. I mean, honestly, and people, I get emotional when I talk about it because you're the real deal, man. You're, you're you know, you you both are. You're fucking. I, I I look up to you, but being a pleaser and having had that fire to hit rock bottom so close after that, I. I would call it, I mean, my dark ages, man. That was my dark ages. I, it was, it was darkness. It was, it was terrible. I, I was, and this, and at the same time, I had my, my second season of my TV show coming out that we filmed in this new thing. But at this time, Facebook is now a thing. Trolling became a thing. Mm -hmm. So now I'm face to face with my critics that I thought loved me. Like they don't love me. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> hiding behind their keyboard, right? Oh man. It was, it was really, really tough. And I knew that the only way I could get out of that was first get rid of all of the excess, get rid of all the crap. And the cool thing about dentistry, the cool thing about dentistry, and I, I, I don't mean to offend anybody with this, but it's like, it's like cooking. And if you've got the best recipe book in the world, and if you stick to the rules, you will get the results. But you can't deviate from the rules. And we have scientific evidence. We, we have the rule book. And the only reason people would bend the rules is to cut corners or cut costs. So I realized that, listen, if I stick to the evidence, if I do things correctly, and honestly, man, if I think this is what you're asking me, Craig, dentistry in effect, quality dentistry saved my life. I managed to rebuild myself and get back on track thanks to doing the right thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, being a pleaser, and I'm a pleaser as well. And I have a very, um, I'm really lucky to have some amazing friends. And some of them are very well known. And I had one experience when um, I was with a very special person in my car. And uh, I was dropping him off after an appointment. And he said to me, he's like, I'm sorry. Say who I'm. I know who you treat, and I'm a big fan of. No, well, it's not that person. Oh, I, I just want to. Well, I shouldn't say it's neat. I'll neither confirm nor deny it because I want to share the details of it because it's so special. So I'm driving this person home in my car, and I was going through a dark time as well. And um, it's interesting because when you're, and he told me flat out, he said, you know, the reason why I was so point blank with you is because he was so point blank with me. And he's like, you're a pleaser, and I could tell. And and when you live for people's, if you live by people's praise, you'll die by their criticism. And, you know, we all, it's an interesting path we all, we all go through as we develop and we mature into our adulthood. At first, it's like, if I just have this, then I'll be that. Or if I could just do this, then I'll have that and then be this. And you realize that eventually you get all that. Like you had the fireworks, you're dating supermodels and you're walking down the street. Oh my God, Dr. Stanley, love you, buddy. And you, you just, you're feeding off of all that shit. And then all of a sudden you realize it's not bringing the fulfillment that you really wanted. That's why Hollywood is filled with fucking people like that are miserable because you're hustling, you're working, you're working your ass off at Starbucks, trying to get a screenplay and trying doing whatever you do it for free. And then all of a sudden you actually hit and now you're world famous. Now you have a whole bunch of people around you that don't even, they don't, you don't even know why they like you. They just want to be part of your entourage. It's a really lonely, dark place. But one thing that I think that you're saying and that I, that I really vibe with is that the quality dentistry is your expression of your principles. It says, fuck you. I don't care what you think. I live and die by doing the right thing for people according to this recipe. And that's what brings you fulfillment. So when you're principled, the problem is with dentistry is that we all like different food. Some mm -hmm. people think Chick-fil-A is fine dining. And some people are like, let me have a handcrafted meal. Sorry, we're not hearing you, Miguel, because when I'm talking, yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. And it's not fine dining. <laughs> well, you know, listen. Depends where you are. Depends on where you are. In the deep south, maybe. I've been very happy to stumble upon an Applebee's in my life. Um, for the for those of you that are listening, oh, you can app- eat riblets. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like the the recipe that you allude to is a brilliant analogy. But the problem is, just like food, everybody has a different concept of dentistry. And I agree with you. The worst thing you can ever do to somebody is when they have a sea of diseased teeth to stick a single implant in. It's the it's the most profitable thing to treat one tooth. But you Why fuck the. Pay- I, I want I want to know. I want your take on this because let's just, again, I mean, you're both successful business people. You both have your individual practices. You share common philosophies. You're brilliant business guys, but you, I know that the product that you're selling us or the, the, the success, the financial success that you guys are rewarded with is a reward. It's not a, um, let's say, uh, um, it's not like a jackpot. It's, 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 it's the result of hard work and it's the result of good dentistry. And you, you wouldn't be alive and you wouldn't be on stage and you wouldn't be the, the thought leaders you are uh, for so long if the work, the dentistry you were doing was crap. I mean, you just, it, it's, it's, it's self-evident, right? So I can't understand exactly that thing. I can't understand dentists. And I, I'm, I'm going to really get into this. Because I have a term for that, and I want to get to that bit. But I can't understand dentists. There's a mouth full of disease, perio issues, gum disease, cavities. Patients, oh, I'm missing a front tooth, and boom, there goes your implant. The guy makes two thousand dollars, and he's and he feels good about himself. So, let's just call it what it is. There are assholes everywhere in the world, right? Everywhere. And I just what what's happening? Who's how, how is this possible? Well, I have a take on this. So sometimes I don't think that anyone's any dentist after going through all the training and wanting to help people is going through school and saying like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to screw this person over and I'm just going to put the implant in. I think what happens is sometimes we, we, we see, you know, if we're holding a screwdriver, all we seem to see is screws. Right. And so you, you, maybe they just finished an implant case and they're just hyped about it, or that's what they're really good at. Or they know that like they're, you know, they know that, they're going for the lowest hanging fruit, I guess. And so I don't think there's any kind of like, obviously there's ethical concerns doing that. And they probably know that deep down, but I think they I don't think, know if they know that Pete. I don't know if they oh, know that. Maybe you're right. Maybe I see, right. you know, there are people that fine dining is really Chick-fil-A. I'm not kidding. Like right. they have the money, they have the, and listen, people say all the time, like, Oh yeah, I can't believe that person. You know, he drives a, a Porsche and he has terrible teeth. I'm like, you know what? I have money. But like when I go to home Depot to buy an air compressor, to fill up my bike tires, there's one for $40 and one's for 400. I don't give a fuck about air compressors. I'm going to get the $40 one. Just like I always say this, just like house plants are not for everyone. Teeth are not for everyone. Teeth require constant maintenance and upkeep. Yeah, but we're talking about the, like, the ethics of the dentist. Right. But I'm saying there's a dentist that practices and he is just a patchodontist. That's so, what he does. So I, I have a take on this. And, I, and I, I caught some millennials the other day, because as you know, I, I have slow dentistry. So, uh, and I think slow dentistry kind of explains this, which we're discussing one of the things in, in, a, in a bit, which, um, and you can visit this on slowdentistry.com. And um, so basically it has four cornerstones, which are um, signed valid consent. So the patient knows the risks and rewards of every single treatment that a simple deep restoration can lead to a root canal. And not only that it could lead to a root canal, but the costs of said root canal and the risks of that. 
I don't think any patient has, you know, should go into any treatment without understanding the clinical implications and the financial implications. You know, people that right. do, people that do a bleach, how much for a bleaching? Hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or five hundred bucks, whatever system you're using. Finishing the bleaching. Oh, but now my composites are mismatched. Ah, now let's talk. You know, you're going to be an extra $2,000 to match the composites or $5,000 to match the composites. That dentist knew that before he started. So mm -hmm. let's get, let's get, and that's the no half smiles philosophy. The no half smiles philosophy implicitly doesn't do um, finance driven treatment planning. It does biological occlusion driven treatment planning, where the only thing that the patient could or could not choose is unnecessary aesthetic dental treatments. So, you know, patient come in and wants six veneers in his, in, his, in his social six or front six teeth, but is missing teeth at the back. And the guy says, well, you should start with the vertical dimension at the back and then we can do the veneers. He said, but all I got is money for the veneers. Mm -hmm. That's the decision right there. Are you an asshole dentist or are you an ethical dentist? There you go. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. An asshole dentist will take the money and do the six veneers and then, you know, okay, next year, let's do the, the, the thing, right? So, Signed valid consent form. The second one is, you know, waiting for anesthetic to kick in. And there's, there's some other cornerstones and you can find out more on that on slowdentistry.com. But um, my, uh, you can't oblige people to be ethical. The same way you can't say, you know, chic filet is not gourmet food and whatever, because we are the result of our own individual journey through our own lives. Everybody's unique. But there is a set of rules in dentistry. There's a set of rules. You know that if you do a filling without a rubber dam and the patient shuts their mouth, there's going to be bacterial contamination of the surface. If you do a root canal without a rubber dam, there's a whole shitload of things that can go wrong. If you do an implant without doing a CBCT and you have thin bone, you're going to have problems. If you don't use a certain, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, man, and I, I get really- but Those angry. are standard of care issues, Miguel, right? Like versus an ethical thing. But the ethical thing is the art, though, the art when you have. What do you call a human being, man or female, that sells their sex for money? A prostitute. Okay, there's a word for it. Now, aliens come down to Earth and see a married couple intimately making love and see a couple who is paid for sex. I'm not going to go to mm -hmm. the gender. If you look at it, it's exactly the same thing. Right. Right. What is the difference? We're all prostitutes for something, Miguel. But both are consensual. <laughs> both are consensual. <laughs> One is actually more expensive than the other in case of divorce, but that's different. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just say that. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is that it's, 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 um, it's, it's an ethical thing, right? Now, I'm not getting into it if it's right or wrong, um, but what do you call then a dentist who is trained and told these are the rules and then hits the workplace and bends the rules and cuts corners for cash. What's the difference? No difference to me. No he's difference. A he's a dental hooker. Oh, now we're talking. Thank you. All right. All right. Hashtag dental hooker. Let's dental call hooker. it. For God's sake, man. I mean, you got orthodontists putting on brackets with teeth with plaque and they're like, oh, but if I don't place my brackets on today, I'm not going to get my commission and my, my hygienist is not here. And, and they do that. And you know, it's happening. They're putting on Invisalign yeah. with cavities. And I just think this has to happen. It uh, has to end. And we'll look at, we have another level. 
we have another level now. So it used to be we rely upon the ethics of a dentist that was trained to decide whether or not teeth are fit for movement. Now you can take your own putty impression and send it out to the myriad of places. I'm not even mentioning just one. There's four or five. And you can have just an algorithm decide if you're ready for tooth movement. But it, it hurts us all, by the way. It hurts us all. So when I see, bat, when I see good dentistry, when I read someone's x-rays, my team and I, we are always like, wow, this is beautiful. Make sure you tell that guy, who was this? Uh, I've got, you know, and I always say that. And the same way, like we had the yogi dentist on a couple of podcasts ago. She's a dentist now, but at the time she wasn't. She was just a, you know, a college student that wanted to go to dental school and, or she was actually in dental school. And she came here and saw one of my doctors and had like, you know, four or five fillings done. And she just said that was like seven to 10 years ago. And everywhere I go, everybody says how great those fillings are. But when we have bad dentistry, when we have aggressive dentistry, that's short, it's really just the, the timeline that makes the difference between dental hooker and, and not dental hooker. If you're doing things with the idea of what are the long-term repercussions of all this stuff, you'll make better decisions. Some people, you know, don't, are not thinking long-term and the, and the greatest, the worst thing I think you can do to a patient. And the thing that leaves me sleepless is when I see a patient that has multiple failing teeth, but teeth are like tires. You don't want to replace them. Rest, dental restorations are like tires. Every tire should get 12 to 15,000 miles on it. So you don't, if you have a crown that's fine, but not great, it, I feel it's, you, you want to let it run its lifespan. You know, you don't want to let the disease get out of control, but even the new stuff you put on has a lifespan. So what I'm trying to say, and I, I know I'm going off on a tangent here, is when you have multiple teeth that you know are going to fail over time, there's no vertical issue, there's no occlusal issue, but you just have teeth that have been treated so many times. And then you stick that single implant in there, mm -hmm. that one implant in number nine, the upper left central, you dynamically change the entire treatment plan because you can't unimplant. Like we have things that just damage the, the whole arch form. And, it, and I think that when you're just, when you're looking at the tooth and looking at the space, you, 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 you really need to up your game and your education because you're, you're shafting the patient for future. I agree 100%. And I, I just think that it all comes down to, it all comes down to, let's, let's put it this way, financial needs. And again, it brings us yeah. to, but this is a problem of society as a whole. It's a problem of, you know, why people that deny climate change. I mean, I know I'm speaking to two Southern boys over there, so I don't know what your opinion is on that. But um, the, the, the whole thing is, if it's not in your financial benefit to accept these things, like on the NHS in the UK, they still say that you should be doing amalgam fillings. I mean, mercury in amalgam. In America too. Because it's economically easier to do. It's a lot more forgiving. You know, I, and I can understand it, but you know what? I'm just, I just, I don't want to get thrown in. You know, you're a dentist. Oh, all dentists are the same, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that we need, we, who's sticking up for us? The good guys, you know, who's sticking up for us? And I, I would say, and I want, uh, Peter, I want your numbers and, and Craig, I want your numbers. Let's just say 2019. How much of your revenue came from redoing bad dentistry? Peter and Craig. Jeez. Craig, go ahead first. I mean, let me. Um... I would be speculating. Um... Roughly, between. Um, Failed dentistry. You know what I, I find a lot? I think this begs a little bit of just a moment of just clarity. When a patient, there are oftentimes patients who get taken 
um, and, and they come in and they say, oh my God, I can't believe I had all this done. I'm really upset. Um, I, I need to have all, re, all of it redone. But what I find more frequent is a patient that comes into a practice like the three of ours and says, they have bad dentistry everywhere. They have a very low dental IQ. And you tell them a crown is X dollars and they freak the fuck out. They're like, what do you mean X dollars? I just had all this done for one quarter X. So it's, it seems normal or more common. It might be my anecdote on my own bias, but shitty low IQ patient that doesn't value dentistry seems to somehow find dentist they, who doesn't value dentistry. They get, they get what they deserve. They, they meet they each other somehow. I've had people pull up in Bentleys with Rolex watches and they're like, what do you mean a crown is a thousand dollars? I think we're discussing then. I think there's several vectors to this. And uh, I don't know if you, if you remember on my slide, it's like as dentists, we never know what's coming through the door. Is the the male female or gender specific? Is it rich, poor, old, young, uh, um, a dental virgin or lots of dental treatment, uh, the educated, non-educated, so on and so forth. And, the complexities of any patient given are huge. Mm-hmm. I didn't say uh, re, um, bad dentistry. I meant, let's say, bad dentistry done in the last 10 years that should still be good and has failed mechanically or biologically. I'm not talking aesthetically. I'm talking biologically or mechanically. Uh, due to, let's say, bad treatment planning, bad ex- poor execution, bad selection of materials. And I think you're a lot of it, in my case, I'll give my number. It's well over 90%. Okay? What? Well over Well, it's 90%. Portugal too. I, I think, is, we I have think a this. Of, yeah, we have a lot of insurance companies. Uh, so I would say 80 to 90% of the population um, choose co- uh, clinics based on location. If the, the insurance covers the dentistry uh, and on, you know, uh, pricing. They, they don't look for technology or for quality. It's uh, in general, but the, people do get what they pay for. But I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of appalled about the lack of public knowledge. I mean, I've done national geographic TV shows. There's a lot of dentists promoting quality dentistry out there. Why do you think the public is so ignorant in terms of what quality dentistry is? Uh, I have a, I have an understanding of it, or at least I believe I do. <clears throat> the public does not value it as much as we think they do. And proof of that is the viability and the economic um, spread of the do-it-yourself do it yourself dental model. So the fact is that, that knowledgeable, I've been surprised how many knowledgeable, educated, affluent people are going to do-it-yourself orthodontics. I would not do that if I was them, but they're doing it. So it lets me believe, you know, we, we learn about the public's thought by what, you know, who would have thought that uh, Uber would be a thing, you know, 10 years ago that I'd call up an app and I'd get in the car. I was always told never to get in the car with a stranger. Now I'm like paying to get in the car with a stranger. <laughs> so, you know, we, we learn by what the consumer tells us. Yeah, and you know, more about, you know more about your Uber driver than you do about your dentist. Of course a- you do. Of course you do. But well, there's, there's Yelp and Google and shit like that too. But I, I, I unfortunately, I wish the public understood dentistry better. Um, I believe that if the public understood dentistry better, guys like us would be, it would, it would be easier for us. But the fact of the matter is they, what patients care about, and this has been studied in the hospital industry, they really care about what your facility looks like and the perception of how well your team gets along with each other. Those are the two driving factors that send people to the hospitals. And hospitals are very savvy to this. 
And, you know, uh, so, so I, I think, um, drive from air from a reputational standpoint, you're saying perception. Yeah, they don't yeah. know the quality of a restoration. I've had seen terrible dentistry and the patients love their dentist. Like, Oh my God, I got this done by a famous professor. I'm like, Holy shit. The crowns look like a rooster wearing socks. It's, it doesn't fit at all. Yeah. You know, you'd probably get, I, I think that the, the, the big challenge is that the, the patients rate their dentists with the same emotion they would a hotel. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, we want to be rated the way that we, you know, scientifically. And I think this, that's one of the biggest things that I think universities need to invest more in. I mean, that you'll probably get a better acclaim from the toilet paper in your bathroom in your clinic than you would from the quality of your implants. Um, but I, I think, and to, just to do a little shift here in the conversation, that's why I'm very passionate about the introduction of artificial intelligence in dentistry. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on this as well, because I think that if in the next decade, you know, CBCT, facial scanning, iOS scanning will be more ubiquitous in dental practices around the globe. And then all of a sudden you'll have AI, if it's benignly programmed, to, to understand quality dentistry versus bad dentistry. And hopefully in the future, you'll have a cloud diagnostic service that will then help patients understand quality and money will be secondary. Well, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. This is going to happen. It's already in dev. And I think it is to your point, Miguel, I think it is going to advance the the profession. I mean, other industries have it that are reading, uh, you know, comb beams and large chest x-rays and such dental x-rays, you know, our friend Kyle Stanley is, you know, our mutual friend, your little brother, uh, he's down the road. Yeah. Your little brother, your little relative on the, on the West coast. Um, you know, to, uh, so, I mean, it's happening and I think it's going to, you know, it's going to be the benefit of not only dentists, but also, but also patients, um, you know, the speed of diagnosis and the speed of saying, all right, well, the consensus, you know, I think that's one of the problems in dentistry. We, we operate in this silo sometimes, right? Yeah. We're, we're all by ourselves and we don't know like good from bad. And all of a sudden we deviate. But if, if now you have an algorithm that's helping you say, and they say, this is the consensus of millions and millions of data points that say that this is a cavity and this is not. I can't argue. And, not, and then not just that, it's like, you know, in an ideal world, it will not just tell you the right diagnostic but it will also the right sequence of treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you go to a practice that is ortho-driven, but your treatment should be uh, prosthetics first for whatever reason, or you know, uh, it will tell you the right sequence, suggest the best materials, so on and so forth, right? And then perhaps also what clinics can actually deliver those treatments correctly, because based on you know uh, feedback from yeah. the I think that AI will implicitly um, imbue dentists with a, a, a heightened sense of ethics because you won't be able to bullshit the system. And I think 100%. it's you, you know what else? You know what else is going to affect the system? And I, I, I hate to say it because it's, I, I, in some ways I feel it's the enemy of dentistry, um, the insurance company. So if you look at um, the medical model, the reason why the Cleveland oh, Clinic is thriving uh, – I was so excited. We were talking about cool shit. Now Craig just went to insurance. Well, let me just, just, let me just, let me just get it out. I'll only take 45 seconds after the first three minutes. At the end of this year, we'll be entering in the year 2020. 2020, everyone associates with perfect vision. Wouldn't it be cool 
to start your year off with perfect vision and clarity for your practice's trajectory, heck, even other aspects of your life, we are doing the summit early in the year for this very purpose. As practice owners ourselves, we are bringing tips and processes that helped grow our practices to scale. Learn from people who have done it, not just preach about it. So join us in Houston at the St. Regis, February 28th and 29th. We've negotiated amazing nightly room charges at $179. Even if you've been to a summit of ours before, do not miss this one. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including social media. Hope to see you there. So the insurance company and the medical model, they're recognized. So the Cleveland Clinic's an interesting model. The, the providers are not paid. Um, they don't kill what they eat. They don't pay a percentage. They don't get a percentage of what they do. So they're not incentivized to do their procedures because let's face it, if you if financial compensation drives behavior. So if you have a multi-specialty model, everybody wants to treat with their own screwdriver. You know, the endodontist wants to do endo, the, the other guy wants to do this and so on and so forth. So the Cleveland Clinic is an interesting model because they get higher reimbursements than the other medical models because they get better outcomes. So the insurance company does not want to pay for two crowns in the same 10 year period. So if they start seeing these data points come in that such and such a clinic, let's say it's a DSO, let's just say that um, Aspen, uh, I'm just using one as a placeholder. If Aspen starts telling, you know, um, Delta Dental or Aetna Dental that our crowns on average, and they can get this data by sharing data, our crowns on average last 10.6 years. And then they look at Pacific and it's 10.9 or 11.6. They're going to start paying higher reimbursements to those DSOs or those doctors. Sorry, Miguel. That's, that's very, very clever. You know what? I, it's the first time I'd heard that. And that pleases me because the cool thing, and I'm very passionate about this, is the application of technology in order to help us assist that, you know, and I'm part of the Digital Dentistry Society. And just a quick shout out, it's digital-dentistry.org, which is an international organization very focused on, the, let's say, the, the promotion of digital dentistry. And the American board member is Dr. Scott Gans who, have, as you know, as a, a huge body 25 years ago was talking about CBCT. So once the metadata comes in, I think that the usage of technology to diagnose and then the cloud to execute, you know, consider. But what you're discussing is then going back to the scanning center to scan the work and then doctors getting rated on the quality of the work. I mean, that yeah. would eliminate people cutting corners and dead. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. But it also rewards people for their outcomes and their dedication. So, you know, the reason, this is not my idea. This is what the insurance companies were doing in medicine. They're paying Cleveland Clinic higher because when you have like a cholecystectomy, a gall- gallbladder remover, removal or some routine surgery, the days in, uh, in stay in hospital, the percentage of post-operative complications, the overall satisfaction pred- gave those data points to the insurance company that they deserve higher because they have less complications and it actually saves the insurance company money. The insurance company also was one of the first people to put together the oral systemic link. They were seeing periodontal codes coming through on patients and then they noticed a uh, a data point where people that were diagnosed with periodontal disease also had cardiovascular claims as well. And the average periodontal claim, I'm making up numbers here, but it's like a grand for the average periodontal claim, but the average cardiovascular claim is like 50 grand. 
So the insurance company's like, oh shit, maybe we should start paying for perio disease because if we don't, that same subscriber seven to 15 years down the road is going to have a heart attack and we got to save money. Why do you think then that dentists, I mean, I, I, I got invited to be the, a keynote at the ADA in San Francisco uh, back in September. And the topic of my lecture that the American Dental Association asked me to give was, are consumers and technology driving change? And I had a lot of fun uh, with this topic because I, I did a bit of deep diving and thinking like, you know, and it came up to me that dentistry is a consumer product. Why? Because of course it is. It's a consumer product. And the biggest mistake, and the, I had a, a beautiful discussion with the Dean of Harvard Dental School, uh, Bruce Donoff. Dean Bruce Donoff is a wonderful guy. I was hearing this. Big shout out to him. Um, he, he is very passionate about the, the huge catastrophic mistake that was to uh, remove dentistry from mainstream medicine. Because pretty much by doing that, by removing this, the mouth and the bone and everything, you know, the, the, this, this part of our head to a different you know, medical structure, you know, and as I said in the hangover, you're not a doctor, you're just a dentist. Yeah. In, 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 this, in society, <laughs> dentistry is seen as the poorer cousin of medicine. Now we all know this discussion, every dentist in the world goes through this, but don't you think that us dentists and the dental industry, there's 2 million of us have done a shitty job at defending our profession as collectively. What can we do to improve that? Well, I think right now, I think, yes, we're all about the same age. We've all been in dentistry about the same amount of time. I got out in 1998 as well. So in 1998, Miguel and, and Peter, uh, Peter was right behind us. We used to have to come out and say, a porcelain veneer is a very thin piece of porcelain, almost like your fingernail. You have to bond it. And then the swan makeover, blah, blah, blah. All these things started happening. And patients now, I think, I, I think right now, we, we went through a dark period, perhaps, in, my, in our career, like the late 90s, early 2000s, where people, dentistry sucked. Now we've got people like you who are on National Geographic and many others who are really making dentistry cool again. And we should get some red hats, make dentistry great again. But it's happening <laughs> right it's happening right now. So I think um, I think right now we're on a resurgence of dentistry and I, I see a lot of very cool, very um, avant, you know, very progressive, good looking men and women, young men and women that are making dentistry great. And of all the procedures the medical world can do, the most transformational procedure agreed upon by everybody. If I show you before and after plastic surgery, before and after mm -hmm. nose job, none of it compares to a woman who, or a man who has visually distraught, I mean, terrible smile and fixing just a smile. It looks as though you did something from the tip of their head to the tip of their chin. There's nothing like dentistry. And we're all doing our job with full-time, with videography and stuff like that, doing that. So I think we're on our way. What I'm most mad about, I know, you, sorry, what I'm most mad about, and I, I probably shouldn't say this, so, but I'm most mad with the ADA. I'm most mad with the agencies that were there to protect us. I'm a dues paying member of the ADA. And all I can tell you recently that I've gotten that I can understand is I get emails saying that I can get a discount on a Hertz rental car quite frequently. I don't need a fucking travel agent. I need someone to stand up for, for our profession to defend it from the intrusion of do it yourself dentistry for of practicing dentistry without a license. There was an article written in my local paper a couple months ago that a man was going to fe uh, committed a federal crime and he's serving time in prison. And what was his crime? 
he had a denture uh, repair shop where he was running out of his garage. I'm not condoning this. I don't think it's right. But he was basically taking snap dentures that were broken in half and crazy gluing them together. So what is the what and, and uh, what is the damage that could be done from taking a denture and gluing it back together compared to a do-it-yourself orthodontic company where you don't know the condition? You have ten millimeter pockets and you know. Sorry, it, the problem is when I'm talking, I can't hear you, Miguel. So jump in. I, I, I was just punching my fist. I'm like, man, that's boom, boom right there. I agree 100%. I, I've lectured in over 50 countries and I can safely say I've, we have like you guys with friends everywhere. I would say that's a common problem of almost every governing body in dentistry today. And if you go out to the general public asking questions saying, who do you think controls your dentistry? They'll say, oh, the governing body of my country. So in America, right. ADA, in the UK, the, the um, uh, General Dental Council, so on and so forth. And if you told them, actually, no, the mm. only person regulating your dentistry in your mouth is your dentist and, you know, <clears throat> and the money you're willing to pay for it. That's, that, that's pretty in ethics. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, man, it's a very, very screwed up combination that controls quality. But um, I'm just, I, and I agree, I share your anger there. It's, um, they, they, they're sticking up for the wrong things, you know? And yeah. that, that story makes me sad because that guy well, help people at least, have some dignity by having an affordable denture repaired, you know? Um, well, I, I don't, you know, I was really using it in context of like the severity of the crime for that is that guy's going to jail, but yet we have, uh, we're, we're, we're rendered uh, powerless to defend against practicing dentistry with a light, without a license from other, other larger companies. And really what it comes down to is the size of your lobby and the size of your legal counsel. But one more thing I want to touch on since we're on the subject of many controversial things. And um, Pete, I need your guidance with this because I don't want to get myself in trouble. But right now in our, in our country, if I remove an amalgam from your head, so you have, a, you have a large chunk of amalgam, silver mercury filling in your mouth, and I remove that, I am not allowed to throw it in my toilet because it's considered too caustic to go through our plumbing, to go through our sewer system. But it's I'm, okay to put it in the mouth. Right, but it's okay to be three inches from your brainstem. It's okay for that. And if I say this to patients, from what I'm understanding, uh, and I, again, the laws may be changing, so I need some guidance, Pete. I'm, I'm leaning on you more as a U.S. dentist, but Miguel, please, please feel free to jump in. I'm not allowed to say that I'm not allowed to say to a patient, you should get these silver mercury fillings out of your head because there's evidence to show. I mean, on the, on the amalgam container, it says, there's a disclaimer, I guess, from the state of California. It says, this is, this is proven to be a, a proven neurotoxin. But, but we're not allowed to say that to patients, correct, Peter? You are. You just can't, take, you just can't say that you should take it out from the context of of it being just a mer having mercury in itself, you shouldn't say, I'm going to take this out because the harm, more harm comes from taking it out from the off gases and heating it up. Right. Then just right. saying, so it's well, already it there. Would, it's done. That would it. depend. Well, that would just depend on how long you're going to live too, because okay. it does. I mean, listen, I don't say that. I say, all I tell patients is they say, are they bad for you? I say, when I take it out of your mouth, I'm not allowed to put it in this and down the drain because I have, it's, it's considered too caustic for our sewer lines, but I can't speak to, um, you know, I, I never tell a patient to take it out, um, you know, based on the, have you ever seen that move that, that movie, the smoking tooth or that YouTube video, the smoking tooth. You guys got to watch that. Yeah. So it shows the mercury vapor coming out when you're drilling yeah. it out. 
Yeah. No, so no, just even sitting there, like actually chewing gum, like they kind of rub it with gum um, or, or paper. Like they have a, they have a dent, uh, you know, a dentiform tooth kind of thing, but just actually the friction uh, that little amount of friction causes the, the, the mercury off gas. But, oh. um, but Craig, to your, back to your question, I, I don't think you're not prohibited. I don't think there's been guidelines as you cannot say this, but I do there. Ha, it has been frowned upon to create quote unquote scare tactics for the purpose of just trying to rip out everyone's amalgam fillings so that you can benefit from a, from a financial standpoint. I think that's, that's the issue. Yeah. The statement Um, on dental amalgam is very clear. It says it's safe and uh, affordable dural material has been used to restore teeth in more than hundred million Americans. I don't know. I just, I just, we stopped doing them here in my practice. uh, And like we were late, like 2003 or four, um, and I just said to my dad, I'm like, dad, I know you like it. I know it's really good to, you know, it's a, I mean, as a dental material, you can stuff it in a wet environment, yeah, it's it's brain, it's, and it's going to hold up. It's going to block decay. It's going to corrode in place. I mean, my daughter could place an amalgam filling. Like there's nothing to it, right? Dig a hole, plunge it up. Bite, bite, right. bite. Looks good to go. Uh, Lasts for a hundred years. I would like to jump in there. And um, I haven't touched the stuff since 1998. All of our ch- dental chairs have the filters and recycle everything um i again I, we're in portugal i can you know we don't have those i can say what i want to say but um we follow the biological dentistry approach in removing amalgam so i will literally wear a, a scuba diving mask mm-hmm. i will put one on my patient and we have a high powered uh, suction thing the rubber dam do you wear a respirator too I, you know the ones that the graffiti artists wear? Yeah, the respirator, yeah. I will have one of those on and we'll do wow. know, one at a time, high suction to get it out uh, with very special drills. Uh, like cold like, cold water, yeah. The, the whole thing. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't want that in my body for whatever reason. And just yesterday, just yesterday, uh, and I'm sure you know that historically a lot of the apical surgery, so if you had an apical lesion uh, until very recently – the retro obturation of uh, uh, teeth. So if you had a failed root canal and you had a, an apical cyst, the theory was you'd open a little window, you'd do a flap, you'd remove the tip of the tooth, you'd do a retro obturation with uh, uh, percha, mm-hmm. and then obturate with amalgam, right? You, mm-hmm. Did you study that in, in the US? Was that yeah. something? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, and then you wouldn't pack anything in, you'd just suture so the blood clot would form. And on the x-ray, high five, I've done a great service to my patient. By saving what should have been extracted, I have put now a toxin inside my patient's bone marrow that mm. has absolutely no notion, because it doesn't have a lymphatic system, of what the hell has just happened. So yeah. I, have, I am shocked. I believe that is literally, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be as strong as like killing people, but it's made people very, very, very sick. The people that were there put in place to help people. Now let's get back. Let's put some context. At the time, it made sense. I can right. understand that. Of course. But there's no way in hell that anybody's going to tell me that that is sound science to put. Just yesterday, just yesterday, I had a patient that came to me with a lot of dentistry because this is for me the biggest new wave of dentistry for me is patients' catastrophic failure of old dentistry. So they started... They had amalgam fillings done of baby boomers. So they had their amalgam fillers done in the 70s. They had that changed for whatever in the 80s. 
root canals in the 90s, implants in the early noughts, and now all of that is, is messed and they're looking for help. So I had this guy come to me and he had uh, a leftover piece of amalgam in uh, uh, this first lower right molar, about two millimeters away from his nerve, all right? It's not encapsulated in the x-ray. It's completely, you know, and I'm trained classically in my, in my university was leave it, just monitor it. That's the training. Uh, uh, so I had to go place. I wanted to place an implant in this guy. So I took my CBCT. Everything looks okay. And it's right in the path of where I needed to place my implant. And I opened the flap and I'm doing the drilling. And my idea was to remove this little bit of amalgam that was trapped within the bone marrow. As you're doing osteotomy. osteotomy. As I'm doing my osteotomy. And I thought, you know, I just drill it out and clean it out and place my implant there. So the diameter of the little piece of amalgam was about two millimeters. I was going to place a four millimeter implant, hence the, you know, the decision. Once I go through, if I was to tell you that this guy had a cavitation that didn't show up in the x-ray or even, you know, it looked like he had, let's say, class four bone, which for the people that understand is a bit, you know, softer bones. Spongy bone. Spongy bone. I then started scraping this out the guy's bone marrow was hollow around this little bit of amalgam. That is toxic. It's terrible. So the, the protocol under biological dentistry is you correct everything. Then we use piezo surgery tips to uh, clean everything till we hit sound bone. We use ozone therapy, PRF plugs and suture with antibiotics and everything. And historically, whenever I do this to patients, because that wasn't the first time this has happened, the energy levels of patients spikes, yeah, yeah. their immune system kicks back in. They, their wives after six months are saying, my husband's less grumpy. Uh, his allergies have gone. I mean, the, the amount of symptoms that you can cure by removing toxins from the body is, is incredible. So I, I, I'm going to risk saying that bad dentistry and the uses of toxic material uh, without any regulation, without any oversight, without any control, uh, in the crazy days of dentistry, I think we've been making people sick. And I, I think it's a, it's a bold statement, but. Well, medicine in general. We've got to learn. I mean, with hip replacements, we were using crumb call, but hip replacements. And very quickly, doctors realized that was, you know, eating away the, the hip. So now they're using, I believe, ceramics or whatever. Um, and I think that dentistry, we need to collectively come together and figure out, you know, what's the right way forward. We, you know, people come to us for help. We've got to help. We've got to help people. And we have to use the evidence. We have to use the science. And if we can't admit publicly that mercury amalgam fillings in 2020 is not toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are worried about BPA water bottles. Like, holy shit. Like, people are worried about like, people are like, oh, you know, I, I'm is, that, is that hormone-free chicken? I'm like, dude, you got like four pounds of silver in your mouth. There you know <laughs> You know what, what the funny thing is, is while you're talking, it's, it's really, it's medicine as a whole. The be, I, my dad, I was, I'm a third generation dentist, Miguel. So like I have all these like family things that I grew up with. But one of the things that my dad always says, the best dentistry is no dentistry. God makes the best teeth and the, and the, the dentistry is great when you need it. But dentistry done before it's time creates the cascade of problems. Just like you said, the silver filling to the, to the composite filling, to the, to the inlay, to the onlay, to the, you know how it goes. So if we can do the things that prevent medicine in the first place, I mean, even the, the, 
the third leading cause of death in the U.S. is medical errors. So just going to the hospital, you're gonna chance, you're gonna cause a chance of dying. So even so, so medicine is not as great as it's supposed to be either. The minute you get a little sad, they slap you on some antidepressants. If you see, like, how many people do you know that are on antidepressants that are still fucking depressed? I mean, the, some of the side effects of antidepressants are worse than being depressed than it's yeah. as, as, as it is. So it's like the medicines that we're using, the dentistry that we're doing is actually making people worse. If you go onto my YouTube channel, I have a YouTube channel. I'm, I'm sorry, it's uh, the lack of, uh, but I, I have a YouTube channel, Miguel Stanley, and there's a bunch of content on there. And there's one called Happiness. And it's a very small, it's like a three minute video of, uh, a, a deeply transformative treatment of a patient um, that uh, she was depressed she, and she had catastrophic teeth, she had infections, what have you. And just by restoring her smile, she was no longer depressed. So I get upset with people that are taking tons of uh, antidepressants and nobody's saying, look at your teeth. People that are going through chemotherapy and radiotherapy and nobody's saying, look at your teeth. People that have have chronic inflammation and apical cysts around badly and poorly root canal teeth mm. millimeters away from the lower dental nerve, perfectly knowing that bacteria pass the blood brain barrier, you know, and nobody's saying, look at your teeth. And doctors are trained to say, well, the cyst is not growing and it's been stable for seven years and not saying, holy shit, dude, you got to get that out of your body. Oh, but it's very expensive. My insurance doesn't cover it. Well, then don't blame that you're sick, you know? I mean, dentistry has been unregulated, uncontrolled. The quality of the products you place in people's mouths isn't, who's vetting that shit, you know? We are, we are. We're doing the beta test for all the big companies. Look at all the shitty materials that they gave to us. It's the revolutionary material. You know how many lava crowns I put on in the first couple of weeks that they came out? And You know, I just want to, just to, to finish this, I'm an ambassador for the, uh, Clean Implant Foundation. So the Clean Implant Foundation is a non-profit organization out of Germany. Uh, my friend Dirk Dudek uh, set this up a few years ago. What do they do? They buy implants off the market. So they, they're not given by the company. They'll buy them randomly. And they put them under uh, scanning microscope, looking for impurities, organic and inorganic, on the surface of very well-known brands. Um, the guy's already been sued, threatened to be sued by some big players. I'm not oh, going to. No you would be surprised about what you see on some of these implant surfaces that we are now using a osteotomy, placing into the bone marrow that produces our white blood cells, right? And has absolutely no lymphatic system. It doesn't know how to heal itself because let's face it, it's the only thing that shouldn't be in contact with dirt is the bone, right? And we're the only professional, uh, 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 we're the only professionals outside of surgeons in, in, in public hospitals that have, you know, they have uh, corporate governance, they have legal issues, they have the whole thing. We're free to do whatever we want to do. And people, you know, it's, and I, I really think that in 20 years time, when AI kicks in and it becomes ubiquitous, we're going to look back at the late 90s and the first part of the 20th, 20th, uh, 21st century as a really dark time in dentistry, cutting off healthy enamel to put on veneers without, because it takes longer to put on, uh, you know, aligners or do orthodontics and do the right thing. You know, how many dentists out there will down talk a patient 
who's cash rich and you know says, I, I want $30,000 of veneers. How many dentists do you know will say no? What you need is two years of corrective orthodontics, some minor bonding and bleaching. This one. You know, and that's why I respect you guys. And that's why you guys are thought leaders. And, but how many do it? How many dentists out there, you know, just grinding off enamel and, you know, hey, look at me. It's, I, I, I'm not, I'm, a, but you know what? When I was in my firework phase, bringing it full circle, uh, Craig, that's, that was me. I was grinding off enamel. I, I didn't know this, but we, we're obliged to grow. We're obliged to learn and we're, we're obliged to adapt. Yeah, I have an interesting story about the grinding of enamel. I, I, I did a big full mouth recon on this guy and he was just, he was a flashy guy. And he, 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 I, I said, you know, your teeth are really good. And I really, we can do this with Invisalign. I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm adept at Invisalign. I'm faculty for Invisalign. I know some really cool tricks and techniques to get it done. And, and that's all he needed. He needed some arch expansion and some good, you know, some, it was, it was really simple. And he finally said to me, listen, I'm not going to wear that shit. So either you're going to do it or I'm going to go to some dude down the street. And I, are you better than the guy down the street at this? I'm like, yeah, I am, Jeff. I can do it better than that guy. I know him. He doesn't do a lot of this stuff. Is your lab better? Yeah, it is. Okay. So he's like, then just fucking do it. And I did it. And you talk about dental hooker. After I was done, I, I, I said, I'm never doing this again. It really bothered me. And maybe I've got some baggage because I'm third generation dentist and I respect enamel too much. I'm weird like that. But it really bothered me doing it. And I've never done it again. It just bothered me. It bothered me. And it's 10 years now and his teeth look great and all that shit. So it was just my issue. I'm, I'm first of all, I'm proud of you. I thank you. I mean, you know, an American, I'm not American, but an American, it's very customary to when a person says he's in the armed forces, you say, thank you for your service, right? It's something that's part of your culture. Well, thank you for your service. And I think that dentists need to start recognizing good dentists more often and be more vocal about that. And, you know, nobody likes to trash talk anybody. And again, I, I, everybody has glass ceilings here. We've all done it. I, you know, right. I, I've got crowns, not even veneers. I ground off most of my enamel because with the best of my knowledge back in 2012, when I did it, that's what, what we did. You know? Right. We do the best with the, with the current data set that we have, right? And so just because things emerge and, and, and technology comes, you can't fault yourself for what you've done in the past, right? Because I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you, honestly, Miguel. I'm like, most of my career was, was is grinding enamel, right? And there's and Cosmetics. sometimes I think, hmm? Cosmetics. Right. Got grinding enamel for the purpose of making it look better. You know, and, and um, you know, always done in a conservative manner, right, to, to, to do, uh, you know, I, I actually always did frown upon people saying, well, just put crowns on. I'm like, you know, crowns is like super aggressive. So minimally prepped veneers is kind of what, what, I, what I prided myself on. But I, didn't, but I didn't shy away from like, oh, I can't touch that sacred enamel. I'm not touching that sacred enamel because, like, I wouldn't have been able to provide for my family in that case. Like, I just wouldn't have been able to do it. But I... I uh... I think, again, I'm, I'm loving this chat, but I, I, again, I've done that. I do it every day. Uh, when we grind today, I mean, and I'm happy to share cases. I look at a prep from me and my team, because I have other doctors on my team, from 2015, 14, mm -hmm. and 18 onward. And I, I would actually say that, I don't know if you guys know Style Italiano. Did you see this like in our Facebook page? Very, very minimal invasive. I mean, these guys became very aggressive, like trolling dentists that would post cases of aggressive preps. Mm -hmm. 
and I was like seeing these guys who I respected. Uh, it's an Italian group. And I was like, holy shit, man, I got to up my game. So, you know, the ultra conservative minimal prep led to me having to change my lab, choosing new materials. It's a huge investment to become minimal invasive. Right. And also, as Craig was talking about, even being prepared to lose patients that want a quick fix. So I'm really proud uh, that we've you know, also been using clear aligners now for 18 years. Uh, I'm really proud that we actually prefer to lose a patient that doesn't want to go the long way, do the right thing, biologically driven. You know, we still cut enamel. We still do these things. But, but mean, Miguel, you have that luxury because you're the foremost. You're busy. You have a line out the door of people. A lot of people don't have that luxury of saying like, hey, we only need half of you guys, right? A lot of dentists to make ends meet need, need all the people. Can I jump in there? There's a sure. name for that. I just claimed it about a few hours ago, about an hour ago, uh, which is who puts a gun to anybody's head to say, you have to do this. All I'm trying to say is, People have got to make a living. Fair deal. Okay. I have a friend, let's just say he, he just lost his job and he was a creative director of this, you know, really big company. And he worked really hard to be, to be that person. His whole mm -hmm. career was set. He lost his job. Why? Because the industry, I mean, right now you can outsource creative directory on Fiverr, you know, to some guy in, in Southeast Asia for five bucks. Do you understand? Right. The industry's changed the same way that top photographers you know, when, when the advent of digital photography, most of these guys are suffering, man, you know, so, um, but the good ones managed to adapt and managed to, you know, make the change from analog to digital and all of that. So this guy now is being unemployed for two years because he wants to keep his status as being, you know, I'd go serve tables to put food on the table, you know, uh, uh, I'd wait table, I'd do whatever it takes ethically to put food on the table for my family and provide for my family. What I wouldn't do, and this is an ethical choice that people have to understand, is willingly perform bad dentistry to make a profit, knowing what I know today. And all I'm saying is that whoever's listening to this podcast, because that's the reason of this, maybe you can't change right now. I understand it. I get it. Mm -hmm. You've got to provide your family. You're heavy in debt. You, you know, you've tried to build something. At least make a goddamn plan by 2021, 2022 to phase out that aggressive dentistry and change. Commit to something. It's the same way you can't go green. You can't, you know, full vegan overnight, you know, go gradually. I understand that, you know, if you want to phase out, you know, your carbon emission, your carbon footprint, you can't do it overnight. But for the dentists that are doing aggressive, toxic dentistry, at least commit to something, you know, at least to commit to something. I, I dig that actually a lot, you know, commit to the change and, and actually immerse yourself in, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the science that is available now. We've got a lot of big influential players though, um, in our space that are actually changing, uh, touting the opposite of, um, you know, taking people that have what appears to be really decent smiles and minor rotations and stuff like that and veneering them. So, you know, there, as much as I love this concept, it's, it's getting to well, be, we live in this economy, right? So it's being for these consumers are sometimes staying and Miguel, you maybe don't have this same experience, but you know, Amazon delivers stuff in an hour and like we're in this on-demand economy and people want it now. They don't want to wait for two years of ortho. They want to be pretty and Instagram ready. But there's future pain and there's present pain and future that. pain. That's what they're not that. seeing. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying for one side or the other. Greg. I'm just saying like, you know, um, 
unfortunately, some of it is just the economy, you know, and, and the demands of the people around uh, the economy. So. And I would, I would actually say uh, uh, in the defense of that, let's, let's say that uh, the industry, there is an industry for quick fix dentistry. Let's call it purely cosmetic dentistry. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that dentistry is huge. This is what, what is dentistry? So you've got health dentistry, you've got functional dentistry, you've got pain dentistry, and you've got purely cosmetic dentistry. So let's right. do everything else and let's just talk about purely cosmetic dentistry, right? From the principle that people have super healthy smiles and everything, whatever. So you're grinding off enamel and putting on veneers. Let's, let's, I'm okay with that as long as the public know the risks of that. And I just think that that discussion isn't really that, open yet i know it's not that i don't i think so again you've got people that do full body tattoos and pierce i didn't whatever you want to do i just think that it's important that people are aware of of that i think that's a huge industry i think that it's going to grow i think that that industry has still another 10 years of continued successful growth around the world because people want to look beautiful right now i understand I just don't want to be confused with that. That was me 10 years ago. You know, I'm looking for a more biological approach, a more natural approach. And you're right, Peter, I can afford the luxury of thinking this way. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The problem is that people that are very successful in that and that come from that work in a wealthy niche, promote this. And then you've got some guy in Southeast Asia, you know, who say, Hey, I want to do this as well. And it's doing it with composite and, you know, doesn't know how to do it properly. Right guys the, the good guys that are killing it doing that actually know what they're doing the problem is that it's inspiring people who don't know what they're doing with shitty labs to do it that's the problem the problem isn't the best of absolutely the best. The problem, i i 100% agree with you on that inspiring the worst of the worst to imitate them yeah like the but, least technical thing to do on the on a cosmetic case is really just grinding everything down. And I saw this a lot. You know, I see this a lot with people come in and I was able to see their virgin teeth and they were like, oh, you're too expensive. And they go to the guy down the street and these virgin teeth were then crown prepped. Yeah. Right. And it makes you sick to your stomach um, when you when you see stuff like this. So, you know, I think a lot of this comes, Miguel, with with doing proper case planning and all this stuff. I'm, I'm not trying to go down the clinical rabbit hole right now, but. Um, I'm trying to redeem myself from the comment of like, of, you know, a lot of my career is made removing. An- hey, there's Pete, there's nothing wrong with it. Listen, it's just, it's just every, you know, I am the guy that I've had conversations with patients who are like, listen, I have $70,000 to spend. I'm like, but, I don't want but, to do veneers. But I, but, did, also- but I was ultra, ultra conservative, Craig, is, what, is where I'm going with that, right? Even as a cosmetics. And so, but I mean, can you always be more and more and more conservative? Yes. To the point where ne- then you do nothing. I agree. I agree. And honestly, um, first of all, I think this, we've all been very brave. We all have followers and people listening to us. I think we've had a really fantastic open conversation here. And again, I've also done that. And, you know, it's it, nobody can survive in dentistry without grinding off enamel. That doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. it's it. We have to we have to be aggressive. And as you said, Craig, your father, the best dentistry is no dentistry. You know, and if, I think I've always jokingly said, you know, uh, here, the biggest hypocrites are dentists saying, "Oh, don't eat chocolate and brush your teeth." If people actually listened to us, we wouldn't have a job. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know. But I uh, mean, the same thing with medicine too, Miguel. The easiest thing—I mean, the easiest thing to do is take a pill. 
take a bone density pill like Prolia or one of those things for osteoporosis, but look at the side effects that the bisphosphonates have when it's been scientifically proven. If you just do some sl- like moderate weight bearing exercise, you'll actually get better bone density or Lipitor is a pill, but you should just stop eating like freaking prime rib for breakfast. But people don't want to do that. Let's discuss then Darwinism. Yeah, exactly. Oh. You know, if people want to be dumb enough to not do the research, I mean, quite frankly, let Darwin kick in, man. And we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll sit down and see where our species has evolved to in the next 50 years. Hmm. That's <laughs> a bleak, that's a bleak thing. Have you read the book Sapiens, Miguel? I have. I, I, I'm a big, big fan of that guy, man. Wow. We talk about like we're ruining the climate and ruining our ecosystem. Human beings just walked and looked just like us. We're destroying our, our, our world since the day we left Africa. It's incredible. But that's a tangential comment. And the oh. next, next one, the Homo Deus, the evolution. I heard that's amazing. Where we headed to. And, uh, you know, um, I, I just... I, the world is the world is a scary place, you know. I've got a young daughter. I'm about to have a new baby, and uh, do you know what is it? Is it a boy or a girl? Girl, I'll have two little girls. Oh, retribution for all your supermod the fireworks days. <laughs> this is God. God's done it. I I I know I know that you're a big fan of your. Is it the Second Amendment rights there, Craig? It's the second. Uh, the right to bear arms. Talking, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. <laughs> I'm sending my daughters to spend summer with you after the age of 13. I'm just saying, okay? I'm well, just- listen, you're an amazing human being. I, I have no faith. I have no doubt in your ability to raise an, an amazing woman, so a I, young I, woman. I want to know when the next Bulletproof uh, uh, summit is happening. I want people to know uh, because my listeners also, uh, I'm going to be sharing this with my uh, universe uh, talk a little bit about, uh, just to sum it up, um, what you guys are doing, when it is, and not when the next one is, because, but, and also the one after that, and what it's all about. Pete, I'll let you tackle that one, brother. Wow. All right. So the next one is coming up, actually, in a few short, uh, about the end of February. Uh, Miguel, this one will be focused a lot on, you know, we, we cover four fundamentals in, in, our, in, our, in our summits really the four things that we think that make a practice bulletproof starts with leadership right there's a lot of team culture there's marketing and then there's some financial acumen right like how to run a business slash practice and so this one will be a little bit more heavily geared towards the marketing because i think that in t- i think the start of a new decade it it warrants marketing is quite different than it was five ten years ago right from influencer standpoint from digital marketing you know, like I actually was in the airport the other day. I was like in an airplane coming home and I was like, I wonder how many people are reading the Sky magazine anymore. And I walked through the aisles because I was bored. It was a long flight. It was a four-hour flight from um, um, where we come back from Telluride. And I saw zero people reading a magazine. Zero. And it used to be that everyone was so bored in an airplane that you would read. So my point is, is that there's no print is kind of shot, you know, so th- things are just changing around us. And, and so we... Craig and I, as, as a, we want to teach practices and, and owners how to become bulletproof in today's society or today's marketplace um, and, uh, from the dental standpoint. So reading, you're reading your book a little bit, which people can find on Amazon, right? Uh, just the bulletproof practice, Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I got, which actually is quite affordable. I think it's something that uh, does translate to Europe. I don't yeah, know we're also, we have an audible now. It's like two bucks. I read the audible. <laughs> so we, 
It's literally, Miguel, literally the audiobook is $3.87. You know why? It's because it's, we found out that it's based on the time that it's read, right? And because it's a short read, which we wanted to do, um, Craig read that book very efficiently. And so it literally is, a, it, you can get a cup of Starbucks or change your life with the book. Mm-hmm. You take your pick. Yeah, it's selling quite well, though. That's good. You know, one of the things uh, we were talking about, too, is the dentist, especially the American dentist, we don't understand that we have a business and we, uh, we don't take out the entrepreneurial profit out of the P&L, meaning you think your overhead's 50%. You don't pay yourself as a dentist, so you figure that you have a 50% profit margin. But if you were to break both of your hands in a skiing accident and had to pay a dentist to show up and do your work, you'd actually only have a, you wouldn't even have a business potentially. So it's important. We teach dentists about that. We use, we use cryptic language as a U.S. dentist. We say production versus collection. Production's like saying like how, how, how tall you think you are. And then it's like, how tall are you? You feel six foot four, but you're five foot three. Why do we talk that way? And I, I think it's important to, to, we're going to go through a lot of that stuff, but, but I'm excited because we get to help people and we get to give back and all that. I've seen some of the emotional reactions of people after your, uh, you know, uh, your, your meetings. I saw the videos. I'm like, I'm quite, I'm really, really impressed. And I know that you have uh, your own coach who's the coach of, of the coaches, the superstar of the superstars, you know? Um, and I just, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think you guys are doing something awesome for dentistry. And I really want to just congratulate you. And I can't wait to, to see you guys again on stage. And hopefully you guys can, I can help you one of these days. We can think about bringing Bulletproof to Europe. Wow. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, It'd be awesome. You could do a European roadshow. I mean, yeah. I, as long as I can just, uh, you know, see you guys walk on stage with the, with the welcome to the jungle, man. It's <laughs> for me too. Because you're not that open about finance and the business side of things in Europe. Uh, UK, yes. The UK, definitely. Uh, very finance-driven, uh, the business side. And quite frankly, UK dentistry needs you. I'm a, I'm a registered, licensed uh, UK dentist. I have no business there. I've never practiced there. But because I'm a British citizen, um, I wanted to. So and I've been looking into it. The average time for an appointment on the NHS is 15 minutes. Uh, it is the highest rate of patient suing dentists of any country wow. more than the U.S. And then I, I, I follow a Facebook page and the level of it's just it's, it's shocking. It's shocking. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and guys, count on me whenever you need. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work and I look forward to seeing you guys again soon, man. Yeah, Miguel, anybody who has an opportunity to see Miguel on stage, it's riveting your audiovisual presentation, what you've done, your humility, you know, it's one thing to, to have all this breadth of experience, but to be relatable and approachable to everyone, you left the whole crew just um, completely awestruck. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, because there's a lot of people out there that have, you know, similar accomplishments, and they've done great things, but they don't relate to the audience. And that's not who you are, you're relatable, you're kind, you're genuine, your spirit comes through. And I'm, I'm just freaking so happy that we're friends, buddy. buddy. I, I appreciate it. I think it takes, uh, you know, having, having had my, my. Your ass kicked? My ass kicked in a way that I hit rock bottom. I mean, it, it imbues you with a certain sense of humility. I also was very fortunate to have a father that was a very humble man. And I, he passed away. And I just thought that I could honor his legacy by just at least emulating a fraction of the man he was which is wow. he was a 
really decent human being and a really humble guy. And um, so, you know, I think at the end of the day, like my wife says, Miguel, you, you know, she caught me and Christian Coachman one day having a chat at a home. She goes, you guys are talking like you're rock stars. You're just fucking dentists. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love her already. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. That's amazing. <laughs> My, it's funny because my wife says said the same thing. She's like, it's just teeth. Like, stop worrying about this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny. We do take ourselves pretty seriously sometimes, right? So sometimes you just have to step back and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't take myself that seriously. Miguel, uh, those people who are going to want to kind of keep, you know, expanding on their knowledge of, of, of you, is it, can they can go to slow dentistry, the white yeah. clinic, right? Like, so my, I have a dot com. So miguelstanley.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, I'm not selling anything, but you can see my upcoming lecture circuit. Uh, I will be this year in America. I believe I have something in Houston in uh, in October. Uh, in, in Houston, I have something in Seattle in March. It'll be the 27th of March. Um, and yeah, so my lecture circuit is on miguelstanley.com. dot com. I have a okay. YouTube channel, Miguel Stanley. And for more information about slow dentistry, you can just visit slowdentistry.com. Um, and uh, that's kind of, yeah, uh, one of the things I'm quite proud of. And yeah, the whiteclinic.pt in Portugal, PT. That's, what, that's my clinic. That's where I, where I work at. And my Instagram is at DR Miguel Stanley altogether, one word, at DR Miguel Stanley. Yeah, I love your Instagram page, buddy. I love it. It's always positive and you're focusing on a lot of good stuff. And um, just such an honor to have you on this podcast. Thank you for your generosity of your time and, and your friendship and your constant support. Just know you're always welcome on the States. Anytime you're traveling through this area and you want to spend a couple extra days on the beach here in Florida, um, I got a guest house for you and your family. And uh, I'm, I'm hereby inviting yourself to, I'm inviting you to Pete's house as well. I've slept many a night in his, uh, in his downstairs basement. It's pretty, <laughs> so go down there too up on that kick back drink some silver bullets listen to some good old country music i'm a big fan little chris jansen for us right (laughs) um miguel last thing and um yeah i just want to kind of piggyback on what craig said just uh you're really just what i think the epitome of a dentist is you know you're humble and you're and you're you're kind with your time and you mentor lots of people um and it's just and you cared you cared deeply deeply about the trajectory of the profession. And, um, and that is, that is fantastic. You're not just looking out for yourself or your family. You're looking out for the profession as a whole. And I think that's, it's admirable. Um, and we are going to take you up on the fact of being the European host. So Craig, do you want to go to like, let's go to Portugal. I've always wanted to go to Portugal. Why not Ben? Let's do the, let's do the bullet. Portugal summit. And we'll we'll be international. I guess we were true story. True story. Canada doesn't feel so international. Hey, don't upset, upset, upset the Canadian I'm listeners. not upsetting him. It's just the same continent, right? I want to like, go, I need to go over a large oh, pond. Oh, you want intercontinental. There we go. Thank you. Got it. Done. I suggest a roadshow. We'll do Lisbon, Madrid, Paris, London, and end up in Berlin. How does that sound? Wow. Well, we could sink it to Bono's tour then. We'll just do that. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll do the opening act for you too. <laughs> Love it. All right, brother. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you so much for your time. All the success this year and this decade. You deserve it, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. You too, pal. Thank Take you. Care. Thanks. Thanks, Miguel. That's awesome. Hold on, man. Stop. Miguel, Stop. you're so fucking awesome, man. I love you, man. I miss what you.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. If you got any value or insight from today's episode, we ask for your help. First, review us on iTunes. It creates awareness to help others find us, and it literally takes like five seconds. Second, if you want to stay in touch with announcements and updates, text the words BULLETPROOF, all one word, to 345345. We promise not to bombard you with spam text. Also, don't forget to check out our upcoming summit, 2020 registration page at bulletproofsummit.com. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including social media. Do not miss this one for real. Thanks y'all.